So I think anytime we approach Scripture, we want to we get the most that we can out of it, especially when it comes to application. How are we going to apply this in our life? Uh, what does this mean for us? And I think that today's, today's Scriptures, I think, are a good, a good example. Because one could read these uh, short three Scriptures, and, and, and I've seen different approaches taken to it. And of course, we see Mary being entrusted to John, and and you can gather a message about a mother and and how we should honor our mothers and and so forth. But I, I think that I think that God has just some deeper understanding and application in that. Not to make less of a mother, but see, any time that we preach the word of God, you always want to make more of God. You always want to make more of the cross. And I can promise you one thing. If you're drawing closer to God, Matthew 6 says that automatically you're going to learn how to honor and obey your mother. Okay? Those are the, the principles of preaching the gospel, seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything else is going to fall into place. Nobody has to teach you so much as an hour-long sermon on giving because if you seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the Holy Spirit will show you. Everything will come into its proper perspective. And so there's nothing wrong with having a sermon about honoring a mother or anything like that. But I think that we owe it to ourselves to always make more of Jesus Christ and to make more of the cross. Because that is the gospel in a nutshell. Because without the gospel, then there is, or without the cross, there is no gospel. You don't preach the cross, then there is no salvation because salvation only comes through the cross. And so... It can come to where, in today's age, the cross is avoided at all costs. Let's avoid the cross. Let's not talk about the blood of Jesus. Uh, let's talk about something more like how can we just have a, a better life? How can I be better at uh, X, Y, or Z? But instead, we read Scripture and says, how can we be better servants of God? That's the main thing that we want to see, that we want to gather as we're all in this pursuit together. And we all have our own struggles. We all have our own downfalls. But we come together as a body of Christ to lift one another up and say, okay, how can I help you? Or how can you help me to be a better servant of this king that we are eagerly anticipating? So John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and this disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. My Lord, it is our utmost desire that you would minister to our souls through the exposition of this word, God. We desire to know more about you. Our hearts inquire as those men a few chapters back that said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see you, God. 
We want to understand you. That's the only way that we're going to be able to make you known. To make you known for who you are. To make you known for everything that you have done in our lives. God, we are truly thankful. We are, as it is, indebted to you for all that you have done. May it begin today with the listening, with the taking heed to your scripture. So as your word says, let him who has an ear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So, when you, I'm sure you've heard it or you may have actually been a culprit of this. Whenever you are in the sports arena or something that is exciting, concert. Where is the best place to be at when you go to one of those events? Where is the number one place that everyone wants to be at? Be it a football game, be it a baseball game, be it a concert. They want to be where? Up in the bleachers? They want to be front and center. Because the experience is the greatest when they're up front and center. And so when you're at a baseball game, you can hear the crack of that bat and it just does something to you. And all of those things, in a sense, bring everything to life and they bring a greater fulfillment. And uh, again, it's just the greatest of experiences rather than being in what they would call the nosebleed section. I, I really can't see. As a matter of fact, if you ask me, rather than to be up there, I'd rather just watch it on television because the cameras can get a lot closer than being up there in the stands. But being up front and center, being as close as possible. And you can think about so many things that happen and people want to be up close and center. I mean, you just heard that ambulance pass by. And a lot of times when there's sirens, people gather and they want to get up close and to the front and center because they have a better understanding that way. Well, this was the case with these four women and with the Apostle John. They are all standing at the foot of the cross, at the base of the cross, and because of it, they are having a greater experience in a sense. It's nothing pleasurable, but they are experiencing the fullness of it. They can literally see, I'm sure, the, uh, the skin that has been separated from his body. They can see the fat and the tissue in between. They can see the drops of blood. They can see the drops of, of sweat and water that are coming forth from his crown. They can see the distress on his face and they can see so many other things. And this is what I want us to focus on. And not only were they standing at the cross, but verse 26 says that they were standing by. So in other words, they are ready for uh, what, what would you need? What is required of me? I'm ready and I'm prepared. Just call on me and I'm here. They weren't just standing there to get the latest news, right, for gossip. But what can I be utilized for? And I would say that it is at this place that opportunity lies. Opportunity for the believer. It's at the cross that the promises of God come to fulfillment. At that cross. Starting with 
the fulfillment of salvation. The promise of God for salvation to men, it happened at the cross. And the promises of God to you and me happened at the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she didn't run and hide. Now you have to think about this. This is his mother. I was actually talking with Norma this morning because she's a little squeamish as is uh, Miss Rosa back there. You see movies that, that, you know, they get a little violent. They tend to turn away and say, I'm just leaving the room because I don't want to see the sight of blood. Think of Mary with her son. You would think a mother would say, I cannot watch this, but I have to flee. I've got to run. I have to cry. I want to hide. I don't want to be nowhere near it, but she stayed. Oh, you have to know that the pain was great. Her heart was being pierced as well, and the tears were all there. But she didn't run and hide, and she didn't stand at a distance either. She didn't stand far off from the cross, just peeking here and there, but she stood. She stood by and she stood firm. Luke chapter 2 verse 19, when the angel came to proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ and he told her everything that was going to happen and the shepherds proclaimed it, it said that Mary kept all those things in her heart and she pondered them. Okay, we talk a lot about keeping and pondering here, but what, what it means is that she preserved everything that was told to her. And I'm sure that it's not just what the shepherds told her, what the angel told her, but everything that she knew about Scripture from the very beginning of time. She kept them in her heart. She pres preserved them. And she brought it all together through this pondering. She put the pieces of the puzzle together. Now I'm sure along with the gifts that the wise men brought, I'm sure she was starting to calculate this is not going to be a good ending to this. And when you look at the significance of the gifts, you start to see, okay, yeah, it's, it's even more. You know, they bringing him myrrh. Myrrh was the main thing they used for you could say embalming fluid. Why are you going to bring me to my baby shower? Embalming fluid, right? So she's pondering all these things. And later on, when Jesus was 12 years old, remember, and they went for the feast of Passover and it was over and they left. And don't ask me how. I guess back then they, they didn't cite people for neglect. But it wasn't until two days later that they said, hey, where, where's Jesus at? Two days, right? I mean... And so they go back, so that's another two days, so four days later, and they go into Jerusalem, and what did they find him doing? They found him in the temple, talking to the rabbis, and he was schooling them in a sense. And Mary and Joseph went, and he, she said, what, what is this that you have done? Why, why have you done this? And of course he said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Now the Bible says that he submitted to them, he went home with them, and he increased in wisdom and in stature. And shortly after that, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says that Mary, once again, she kept all those things in her heart. Now this is a different word in keeping, but what it means is that this now was something continual. And it was careful. Careful observation. These things that were happening. Why is this important for you and me? Because we will be able to relate with Mary. 
Because see, Mary's going through a trial. She had this beautiful son. Now she is in a predicament where it's so difficult. But she still chose to put her focus on the cross and to put her focus on the will of God. And that is exactly where we can take from Mary's experience and add it into our lives. Because when we make a decision to follow the Lord, there is also much in Scripture that tells us about uh, much that's going to come against us, tribulations and persecutions. And if we are not keeping these things in our heart, if we're not doing our homework, if we're not being careful and putting the pieces of the puzzle of Scripture together, then the first thing that we are going to want to do is rather than to have that front center row seat, we're going to want to run and hide. So from the day she conceived until the moment of the cross, Mary was steadfast. She was fixed on it. Now, again, it's relatable to us because at the moment of conception with us, when we conceive the Holy Spirit in our hearts, when God has given birth to us in this new birth, we too are to be fixated on one thing. Not the blessings of God, not what God can do for me, but to be just fixated on Him, on His face, on who He is. Now, this is what you would call standing at the cross. We're not physically there like they were. We can't see the drops of blood, but in a sense, by faith, we see what was done for us. We stand in our hearts, established, fixed. This is who I am. I am in Christ. I made a decision to follow him. Now, regardless of what comes my way, come hell or high water, I'm going to stay fixated on him. Regardless of what situations look like in my life or with my family, I'm not going to run and hide because there's promises here that told me already I'm going to go through difficult times. But the promise also goes on to tell me that there is a greater expectation for me. At the end of it all. And because of it, that's what keeps me there. So that I can be front and center. So that you can be front and center. This is standing at the cross. Our mind is at the cross. Our heart is at the cross. Again, we're constantly, Deuteronomy 6, we talk about it all the time. When you wake up in the morning, at noontime, at night, when you eat, when you rise, when you sit. Keep the word of God fixated on your mind. And we teach it diligently to our children. This is what you would call to be near the proximity of the cross. Nearness of the cross. What it means is to stop, to stand still, to stand firm, and to be immovable. To be of a steadfast mind, not to hesitate and not to waver. Wavering, going back and forth. And the Bible talks about this. You might know it as double-mindedness. One day I'm over here. One day I'm following Christ. The next day I'm just not so sure about it. But I have stood still. I'm, I'm firm in my belief. And not only that, but I stand for what the Bible says that we are to stand for. That includes... Uh, Many things that go against the understanding of our society today. And so automatically now you will be labeled not to the kingdom of heaven, but to the kingdom of this world. You'll be labeled as 
public enemy number one. But you continue steadfast and fixed. And like Mary, we're to keep and to ponder through careful and continual observation of what? Number one, the word of God. And two, very important that a lot of people keep, they keep the word of God, but our life experiences. We have to filter those experiences through the word of God. The word of God should be that funnel with a filter and we throw our experiences and what it does is filter out the bad and we keep the good. We gather it all together. We keep those good experiences. Now there's opportunity when our heart is standing at the cross. Of course, to glorify the Lord and to receive grace and peace. The two things, well, the one thing, grace, that we need and the peace that we desire. And that peace is not just that this normal, natural peace, but it is peace with God. I'm not hostile with Him no more. I'm not an enemy to God no more. I am a friend of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, hey, don't get tired. Okay, the work that you're doing for God, it, it's, it's, it's good. You keep going. There's going to be a resurrection. It's coming. It's coming in due time. Those who are dead in Christ are going to rise up and then we're going to be gathered with them. You have to be patient. And in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your service, your work, your employment, the things you do for God, it's not in vain. But you have to be like the sand in the ocean. Does the sand in the ocean drift everywhere? No, it settles to the very bottom and it stays there. And it doesn't move. Above the water, there's storms, there's waves, there's tidal waves. Uh, there is all kinds of things going on, but the sand at the bottom, it stays still. And this is what being steadfast is. It's to settle and to stay, to settle your mind and to stay with your mind on the cross without allowing uh, your mental capacities to be tossed to and from. Because see, that's where the gates of hell get every single one of us in the mind, tossing us to and from. It's not in the body. It's in the mind. It's not, it, it, you could say in the heart, but the heart consists of the mind. And it tosses us to and from. To the person who struggles with substance abuse. It's in the mind, hey, that, that would sound really good right about now. To the person who struggles with uh, faithfulness to the spouse it's it's this woman or this man and they struggle with this in their mind and it tosses them to and fro like a ship in the violent waters of the sea it's throwing you this way and that way but we are called to remain fixated on the word of god abounding overflowing to an excellence of maturity this is where it becomes important. This is where we want to seek after maturity. Because if we're not, that's what's tossed to and fro. Try to give a 16-year-old the responsibility of making a six, $700 payment on a brand new vehicle and see how they won't be tossed to and fro. How am I going to do this? But it's only the mature individual that knows I need to seek employment. And when I grab it, then I need to uh, be 
dependable and show up every day on time, regardless of how I feel I need to show up. This is the same concept in maturity when it comes to, to the things of God. I need to still, I'm still employed. I'm still of service to the Lord. Uh, I need to continually, no, no, not be late, but I need to be on time because God is depending on me. I'm a laborer for his kingdom. Especially knowing that our griefs and our sorrows are not useless or without recompense. God is always going to reward us. You see, Mary went through terrible grief and sorrow. But Mary has the promise of salvation. That is her reward. We read it and we see her as Jesus' mother and Jesus as her son. But at the same time, Jesus is her Lord and Savior, just like he's ours. She had to bow her heart to him just like we did. She didn't get a free pass and get salvation just because I'm his mother. I have to believe in my heart and I have to be steadfast in the same way. Now, all of this is only possible how through standing by at the cross. There is some who rather than to stand at the cross, they prefer to stand in religion. But our stand has to be at the cross. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray and saying, pray like this, but don't, don't pray like that. Why? He said, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. They like to stand in religion. They like to stand in, in other avenues that this isn't a threat to me. Praying in public's not a threat to me. Church service attending it, it's not really a threat to me. Um, all, all these other things that we do, right, they're, they're not a threat to me, but it's when my heart really draws near to the cross of God in all absolute sincerity, now it becomes a threat. And so they would rather stand in religion than to stand in the real threat of the cross. Because they see the cross now as a threat. Because they haven't seen it as their end. They haven't seen it as salvation because the one individual who sees the cross as salvation sees it as that is my everything. Others prefer to stand in idleness. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. The Lord has given a parable about the vine vineyard and the workers that he has hired. It says in Matthew 20, verse 3, that he went out at the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And then verse 6 goes on to say that about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing idle all day long? Now the ones standing idle in the marketplace, those are the ones that are standing idle in a sense in what would be, you would consider, the world, the worldly mindset, because the world is still for sale. Everything's for sale in the world, and that's what happens in the marketplace. Now, this parable, yes, it gives notion, because the end of it says that the first will be last, and the last will be first, and it's a notion of the Jewish community, how Jesus went out to them, he hired them, they were being idle, so then he went to the Gentiles. 
But regardless, these individuals are being idle. He comes out and says, why are you still being idle? And as a matter of fact, this word idle also means to be barren. To be barren means that you're not giving birth to anything. You can't give birth to anything. And he's asking them, why? Why are you idle? Why are you not doing anything? Because remember, this is for service to God, for the kingdom of God. Why are you not doing anything? Now, they get concerned with, well, you're going to pay them more. And it's like, don't worry about that. You're going to get your reward, but your service is to God. That's all that matters. So the kingdom of God is one of service. Who? The king. Not to stand idle like the lost individuals. Not to stand idle as the world would stand. Not to have everything empty or devoid. Not to be lazy or sluggish because there is a lot of sluggishness in the body of Christ, in the ecclesia. There is sluggishness. If that's a word. They avoid that which they ought to do. I think we have all been guilty of that. We avoid the things that we should do. And as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that to any individual that knows what we should do and we don't do it, it's counted as sin. Our recompense is just and waiting but it's impossible without standing at the cross. Again, standing at the cross, you have to see it in your mind. It is your heart being there at the foot of the cross that day, realizing everything that He endured. And it changes your whole perspective. It changes your whole perspective on how you view God and how you uphold Him in your heart, how you speak of God, how you think about God. Is it warm in here? No? Okay. To stand is to make a statement. To stand at the cross is to make a statement, but even greater than that, it is to make a covenant. You remember when Judas Iscariot, he settled with the, with the, the Jews to sell Jesus for 30 shekels? It uses the same word for standing. And what it meant is that he made a covenant with this agreement. He became established. He settled it in his mind. I'm going to sell Jesus out for 30 shekels. Now, why he did it, of course, we know why. Because uh, Satan had entered him. But what he was really thinking, um, we may never know until we get to heaven. But he may have possibly been thinking, he's God. He'll get himself out of it. It'll be all right. He'll forgive me. But did he really forgive him? We know we read the scripture. But it is making a covenant. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, again, speaking about the fact of our trials. The same trouble that Mary had. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, we're made to stand by the grace of God and we access it by our faith in that. We trust in it and we rejoice in what? The hope of the glory of God. What is the hope of the glory of God? It's not getting a raise on Monday. 
It's not, in a sense, having a, a, a relationship restored. It's not having the individual that we love uh, healed of a certain illness. I'm not saying that God won't do that and God doesn't concern himself with that because he does. The hope of the glory of God is salvation, e eternity with God, standing before him. Verse 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in what? Tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Here is the good thing. Here's the beautiful thing about difficult seasons in our life. Okay? Because sometimes we don't read this. And if we read it, you don't embrace it. You have to embrace it. You have to embrace it like that front and center seat. It says that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, in turn, produces what? Character. Character then gives us that hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So it is uh, stages of progression, this tribulation, this difficulty, these things that come against us and they try to knock us into the wall. They produce perseverance. Now I'm stronger. Now I'm able to do this. And the good picture of it is, is an individual who works out, an individual who, who trains it's difficult. They get tired. They're breathing hard, but they're pushing through. And every time they're getting perseverance and now I can go further and now I can do more than when I first started. And that perseverance then develops to a character because this same individual who perseveres when they're working out, guess what? Now I have character. Now I'm not going to eat like a food junkie. I'm going to eat the way I should eat so that I can be healthy. Because if not, then I won't have this endurance. And it's the same thing as a Christian. We eat the right things of the Word of God. We eat the, the fullness of it, the sound doctrine. It gives us perseverance through these hard situations. I, I have to keep going. It doesn't feel good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to continue. I just want to stay still. I don't want to go to church because I'm just not feeling it today. But you persevere. I don't want to read the word of God. I don't want to pray. But that perseverance. And then when you go through it, it produces a character. Now you read, not because I have to read, but I know what's good for me. It's good for my spiritual condition. And that in turn produces this hope. And that hope does not disappoint you and I. Because God is not a man that he should lie. There's coming a day where our souls right now may be tired and weary, but if we're patient, he's going to come one day. Uh, we may take our last breath or it may be at the shout of the trumpets, but the promise is we're going to be caught up with him. And that's the glory that we have. Okay, God, help me with this endurance, Lord. But it's only going to happen where? At the foot of the cross. It's not going to happen anywhere else. It's not going to happen sitting at home watching live stream service on Sundays. I'm sorry. It's not going to. It's a, it's a call of denying ourselves and uh, us decreasing so that he may increase. Standing near the cross is only possible through his grace and it's accessed by faith. We saw that in Romans. Mary, see, she didn't despise through her despair, but she stood standing by. That's difficult. Some of you have gone through harder trials than other people, but all that matters is, am I standing by? Am I not letting go? God, I'm, I'm not going to let you go. Think of the picture 
Okay? Because through all these trials, Satan, he, he's, uh, he's sifting you as wheat. And we've described that process. God told Peter, uh, Satan has inquired about you. He desires to sift you as wheat. That would, if you really knew what that meant, it will bring chills down your body. But did Jesus say, yeah, but I took care of that fool for you. I rebuked them for you. No. He said, I prayed for you. And the Bible says that he's praying for you and I and every single believer that we can withstand this. Her tribulation produced the perseverance, the perseverance, the character, and the character hope. She took her last breath knowing I'm fixing to be reunited with my king. And that didn't disappoint. See, Satan would love nothing more than to discourage any believer from standing at the cross. Discourage you. You don't have to stand at the cross. It's okay to go to church on Sundays. It's okay to just say that you believe in God or to carry your Bible or to, you know, uh, just post a few things on social media. It's okay to have that, but don't let your heart get close to the cross. Don't. He'll keep you from there. And we have to make the choice to say, no, that, that's where I'm going. As a matter of fact, uh, all those things, as Paul said, they're considered as dung. All my Bible reading, all my church going, all my knowledge and understanding, it's, it's, it's rubbish, it's dung. I don't need that. I just need to be at the cross. And Satan would love anything than to just keep you from that place. That's why people are satisfied with online church. That's why people are satisfied with online Bible studies or they're satisfied with a, a, a preacher, a minister who don't keep them accountable because then now I could just do what I want to do. And our carnal nature would love nothing more than to stand as far as possible from the cross. This thing that we love so much, and rightfully so. I mean, we shouldn't love it to the death. We shouldn't love it more than, than we love God. But some people cherish this thing that we carry around. It, I mean, if we, we know the scripture, we know that literally we're dead men walking. Not dead men spiritually, but there is an expiration date on this carnal body. Matter of fact, we're more dead today than we were yesterday. We can't see it from one day to the other, but I guarantee you I see it now compared to when I was 15. I didn't have wrinkles on my eyes when I was 15. I didn't have gray hairs, right? My bones didn't ache when I stood up after sitting for a long time. That is your body telling you the time is approaching. The time is getting near. The promise of God is coming to its fulfillment. And we just have to be ready. We have to be prepared. But the carnal body says, don't, don't go to the cross. Not just Satan, but the carnal body. No, I, I look, let's, okay, I'll go for the front and center seat. That's cool. But let's get it at the Cowboys game, not at the cross. Right? Can you sacrifice the, the football game front and row, center seat? I, you know what? I paid a few thousand, whatever they cost. You know what? You can have them because uh, there's a free seat up front and center at the cross for me. 
That's understanding the fullness of, of the gospel. And now everything else is just foolishness. Now we have a right to choose and not to choose, but uh, God's not going to play games with any individual. Either you're with me or you're not. The only one that we fool is uh, ourselves, but we see the true reality of all of this. Because standing at the cross is going to lead to the greatest experience in the life of a believer. The greatest experience. If you have been saved, if you've been changed, if you've been transformed, you should be able to look back at a certain time in your life when you were lost. You didn't have hope. And so much so, it should be so real that it would bring tears to your eyes and say, God, as a matter of fact, I think it was Thursday. I woke up feeling a little heavy. I woke up feeling a little down. It happens to us, right? But as I was meditating and keeping the word of God and driving, I couldn't help but to erupt in weeping because I remember the time in my life when I was so far defeated that I couldn't even shake myself out of it. I couldn't even call on God and say, God, help me. But it caused me to despair because I was double-minded. I was being tossed to and fro. But God literally, literally, the scripture that came to mind is you have pulled me out of the miry pit and you've set my feet upon a solid rock. When you are on a rock, you are stable. I'm not going to be wobbling around. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm going to stand firm. And again, this is the picture of the Old, the old Testament. When, when, uh, when somebody had committed manslaughter... What opportunity did they have? They could run to the altar of sacrifice and they would grab onto the horn of salvation. And when they grabbed onto that horn of salvation, nobody could touch you. That's Jesus. He's the one who sacrificed himself for us. And we run and we grab on to God who is the horn of our salvation. Oh, we're not running from the law. We're not running from uh, individuals who want to do us out. But from the despiser of our souls who wants to do everything to keep us from coming closer. And we, can be, we are in uh, touchable, untouchable at that time. That's the greatest experience in the life of a believer. To look back and say, no, I, I know God is real. Not only because the word says it, not only because my grandmother said it, not only because the preacher said it on TV and on the radio, but because I have experienced it. Everything I used to try didn't work. But by the power of his spirit, he has transformed me. Now, he didn't only, he didn't only get me to stop doing the bad things I used to do on the outside, but I think differently. I have a different outlook on life now. I don't walk around all angry, but now I have joy in my heart. So this grief can now become more up close and personal. Now we can learn to, as James said, count it all joy when you run into various trials and temptations. Because sometimes it don't make sense. Why am I going to count that joy? You count it joy because the result of it, if we persevere and continue. But the joy and the victories are also going to be more up close and personal at the cross. They're going to be real. They're going to mean more. John was entrusted with the care of Jesus' mother, Mary, right? That only happened at the cross. Why didn't he ask anybody else? 
Naturally, he's going to ask a man because the men are the ones who are in charge of taking care of. John was the only one at the cross named as far as men. So he had the opportunity now. Okay, the opportunity was presented to him. Take care of my mother. Why is it important? Okay, simply put, simply put, the, the truth of this, of these three scriptures that we're reading. Near the cross is opportunity. Okay, when we're close to this cross, there's opportunity to either what? To either provide or to be provided for. Because that's what happened. John had the opportunity to provide, to take care of Mary, and she had the opportunity to be provided for because they were both at the cross. For you and I, we can have the opportunity to either be provided for or to provide to someone else. But it's only going to happen when we're at the cross because when we're far from it, I know, let somebody else take care of them. Let somebody else help them out. And at the same uh, way, we're saying, God, help me. I need help, but God never helps me. It's like he doesn't hear me. It's not that he doesn't hear us. It's that our hearts are not bowing at the cross. And he provides for us. Now, naturally, everything comes from God, everything good. But he uses us to provide for one another. What need do you have? Do you need prayer? Do you need ministering to? Do you need encouragement? Do you need to be admonished? Or maybe I need to be admonished and somebody else needs to do it. So there is the opportunity to provide or to be provided for. And we don't want to miss that opportunity. That's the service of God that we all can have. But it's only, again, going to happen standing at the cross. Now, missed opportunities are only going to happen in the absence. For you and I, if the heart's truly not there, why? Well, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you, you know, an individual, oh, they're not saved, they're, they're evil. No, what I'm saying is, where, where were the other disciples? They didn't get this opportunity to take care of Jesus' mom. That's an honor. They didn't get it. Why? They weren't there. Or maybe they were far off. For us, the opportunities. Do you want to serve God? Do you want to be of service to God? Because guess what? The Bible says we should be of service because we're called servants. And I'm not talking about simply serving in a church ministry. I'm talking about serving out there. And if we want to serve, then we want to be close to the Lord because that's when he speaks and says, this I, I, I require of you. Go over here. The closer we stand in our hearts to the proximity of the cross, the greater the opportunity to be of service of God. It'll become greater. And just like any activity, the closer one is, the realer it becomes. So it is with our life and the cross, right? The football game, man, I'm so close. I, I heard that hit. I saw sweat pop off all, all over the place. The closer you are to the cross, the realer it becomes in your life. The realer you begin to live the gospel and breathe the gospel and be the gospel because now it has become real in our life. The closeness causes the experience to become a reality. What do I mean? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Standing at the cross means because he loved me, because Jesus loved me, because Jesus loved you. I now give myself to him in devotion. I'm indebted to him. He gave himself away freely for me. I want to give myself for him. Not so that I can be saved, of course. I don't give my life in service to God so that I can be saved. I give it, though, out of gratitude. Why? Because I am saved. Because he's done so much for me. This is where 1 John 4.19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Remember on Wednesday, what do you mean he loved me? He doesn't, it's past tense. He doesn't love me anymore. Remember Wednesday? Loved, why? The cross. He demonstrated his love there. Once and for all. And he did it once, but it's a continuation. True believer doesn't have to question that anymore. I know he loves me. How, why is all of this happening in my life? I don't know, but I know God loves me. I can't make sense of a lot of different things, but I know he loves me. We have to know that God loves us. We should know that God loves us. And if we don't, then we want to pursue after that. So that God, so that we know that, that God loves us. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. This is how real it's become. I'm so close to the cross in my heart that, yeah, the experience is so literal and true. So it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. Might as well just crucify me with him. Because that's how close I am. My, I have a dog that showed up at my house several months ago. And he, he stayed there. He never left. I opened up the gates and he stayed there. That guy wants to be so close to me. He's always just up right in between my legs. It's like he just wants to be close. And it's, you know, go over there. I'm trying to work. But in reality, you think about the faithfulness of a dog. We should be close to the Lord like that. We should be running to the foot of the cross there and trying to insert ourselves. And God, I know I can't, I can't crucify myself for salvation. That belongs to you. But I want to be here. I want to be crucified with you. And I don't want to live no more. I want it to be you living through me now, God. Christianity is not about believing that God is a butler bowing to us and continual pampering and service to us. But it's knowing that the service of Christ was completed at the cross. He said it is finished. It was done at the cross. And likewise, our service will only be completed as well at the cross. Nowhere else. When it's near in our hearts, crucified with Christ, experiencing the fullness of what he has in store for us. I ran into a gentleman earlier this week and actually I was helping Brother George. And there was a guy there and I kind of I got lost because he, he put on a song 
And uh, it was a country song. I'm not much for country. But I am a man of words and I like to listen to words. But I think what caught my attention is that this, this individual was singing the song with a passion. And, and it caught my attention. And I started listening to the words. And he's talking about life. Talking about how difficult it is. Talking about how he would call out to God but nothing would happen. And talking about all the ins and outs of life, right? And I was pretty amazed at how connected he was to this song. And I thought to myself, if only the people of God could be connected to his word the way this gentleman's connected to this song. Because this song was, in a sense, ministering to him. But then I realized that this song ministered to him because he could relate to it. The song was speaking his life to him. Everything that he had experienced, and for that reason, it just made a connection. Then it took me back to the music that I used to listen to and I probably blush just of thinking of the music that I used to listen to. But what, what the reality of it was what was in my heart. But you sing it. Boy, you sing it at a stoplight. And it doesn't matter who's listening to me. I don't even care what it says. There's no shame. It's just like we're going to hear whatever it says. Expletives. And you have it. But see, when an individual is spiritually raised from the dead. Okay? I'm not talking about a false conversion. I'm not talking about salvation that's brought forth by man, but that which God has given birth to. The word of God comes to life now. Now they can read it, they can sing it, they can live it. Why? Because there's a connection that's relatable to me now. Now the other music doesn't matter. Why? Because there's no connection there no more. Yes, I once was lost, but now I'm found. This is what matters more. And you can start to see the reality in the ecclesia of the disconnection. And that's why the preaching of the word of, of God should be challenging to the soul again to say, God, is, is that me? Have I experienced this yet, God? Because your word's not relating to me. Your, your word doesn't move me. It doesn't excite me. Your worship doesn't excite me. It doesn't move me. Has it happened to me, God? Have I been made spiritually alive? Because when you have, then the connection is the same connection that this individual had. And you sing it with passion and soul and a lot of times with tears. Why? It's been made real to me. And there's a lot of individuals who have that disconnection out there. It's important to know that the word of God is only going to carry weight through our relationship with God. And that's going to be with our hearts being close to the cross. Our daily service to God is simply an indicator of our proximity to God. That's a hard one right there. Our daily service to God. Are we serving Him? Because that's how the Bible lays it out. It's an employment. We're employed now. We're occupied. We've been hired. But it's going to be an indicator of where we are in our closeness to the cross. Just like I've told many individuals, you can look at a marriage and the relationship the husband and wife have, you can pretty much tell the relationship that those individuals have with God. 
I don't care how good they pray. I don't care how much Bible reading they do. The relationship is going to be a good indicator of where it's at. If it's a good relationship, they probably have really good standing with God. And there's a lot of pastors that are in that situation where it's not. We can't be fooled. No, we're not called to just look for wrongs in everyone. We want to look for the best. Uh, love believes and hopes all things. But we also are not called to be naive and to be neglectful. So may it be our desire to be up and close and personal for the glory of God. So that we could be of service. So that we can either be providers or we can be provided for. We all need provision from God, don't we? Or am I the only one? We all have needs. Different shapes, different ways, different times. But we all have needs. And other people have those needs as well. Sometimes it's us. God says, you, go. For some people, it's to preach. I need you to preach. For some people, it's like, you know, you just, you just go hug somebody. Hug somebody and, and, and pray for them and minister. Uh, there's so many different areas. But the main thing is, these opportunities would have been lost if they wouldn't have been at the cross, okay? They, they wouldn't have happened. For you and I, if our hearts are not driven there at the foot of the cross, those opportunities are going to be lost. And there's coming a day where this hope we talk about, where we're all excited about, we're going to stand before the risen king. They're going to burn all of our works. All of our time cards. Every time we've punched in and punched out, throw it in the fire. What do you got? Wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't seem very important right now to some people. Oh, but believe me, when you're standing before the king that's no longer wearing a crown of thorns, but he has a crown of gold, it's going to matter a lot. Or it can be burnt up with gold, silver, jewels. And that's when the rejoicing will begin. But it all takes place now. And it's only going to happen again as we draw near to the Lord. It's extremely important. It's extremely important. Why? For the glory of God. That His name wouldn't be blasphemed no more. The name of God is blasphemed in so many different areas and nobody bats an eye anymore. But if the reality of us knowing that He died for us Lord, far be it from me to blaspheme your name, right? So for that, we call out to him for strength. God, bring me to that cross. Draw me closer. Lead me, God. You are the shepherd. I am the sheep. I'll hear your voice. I'll follow you. I'll submit at that cross. But I need your help, God, because I can't do it alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we look at these scriptures and, of course, we see that Jesus entrusted his mother to John. God, I may not have relayed this message the way that I should have. But I can only hope and pray that by the power and the might of your Holy Spirit, you would cause it to come to the understanding that you would desire it to have, God. I'm a mere man. I'm flawed. I try my best. But God, my desires simply to help others draw closer to you. 
God, that we would understand the beauty of the cross. Yes, suffering can be beautiful. It's happening right now and portion of scripture that we're at so we pray God that you would only help us to be of service to you God because if we're called high if we're called priests now which we are those who are in Christ priests were set aside for service service to the tabernacle service to you God help us to be of service not uh, self-serving ourselves but to be of service to others God that we would uh, become less so that you can become more that we would decrease so that you would increase God Father, the truth is that we need your help for this. We can't do it alone. Help us to die to ourselves. God, be that good and faithful shepherd that leads us so diligently, God. And if, and if, and if it has to be uh, more persistent in a certain area, God, then cause it to be so, Lord. Just so that we could be drawn closer. God, we don't want to waste your time and definitely know that we we don't want our time wasted bring us to the end of ourselves enough is enough god i surrender to you all to you i surrender god raise me up raise us up from the dead god give us life remove the hardness in our hearts give us a heart of flesh that we can live and feel and breathe uh, the glories of god the joy the praises the beauty that we may display that to others. Because we know one thing. No one in this world, Lord, in this universe can do that which only you can do. And for that, we seek after you. God, we know that even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. So God, strengthen us this morning. Give us an increased measure of faith that we can access this grace so that we can stand. And when we stand, we stand firm, immovable, knowing the work and the glory of God. Father, we thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.